want to kick off tonight just to give you a portion of an article. Uh, for those that don't know, I am an Army brat. My father is a retired colonel, and so I like to keep up. And, of course, we have veterans within our, mini uh, within our ministry, so I like to keep up uh, with military news because uh, it's, it's relevant even today. Uh, but it's a portion of an article regarding a military briefing that took place at the Pentagon, and it comes from the U.S. Department of Defense. It's actually on their website, uh, and it's really just reporting the military's response to the virus, as well as they're handling this, as well as supporting their missions uh, around the world. And so we're going to tie this thing in in just a little bit. But uh, the person who I'm going to quote uh, is the Army Chief of Staff General, James C. McConville. And so this article says this, just real short, just a few sentences, but it says the army also has to be ready. The army has to be ready. So for all the uh, Marines out there, hoorah, I don't even know if I said that right, but then for the army people, hoorah, as well as the uh, Air Force, hoorah as well to you, shout out to you, those retired as well. Uh, but the army has to be ready to respond to global situations. This is what the article says. Even in the middle of a pandemic, so even though there's a pandemic going on, the army still has to be ready to respond to global situations. And so uh, and then it says this in the quote, and this is the quote from the general. We're continuing to train mission essential personnel. We're continuing to train missing essential personnel, McConville said. But really what we're trying to do, as the quote goes on, what we're trying to do is we're trying to balance protecting the force so we can protect the nation. So they want to be able to, to protect the military force as well as protect the nation. So they want to protect the force from the virus, um, even as we're on the front lines, as well as to protect the nation and our interests overseas, as well as our borders and territories. And then it says this, uh, the, there are soldiers that need to perform critical functions around the world. And they will continue to do that based on the commander's assessment of the threat to the force and the threat to the mission. And so, again, we've been talking about I declare war this past Sunday. We talked about, <coughs> excuse me, warring with prophecies. Let me take a little drink here. And the church has a critical mission. And this Sunday, you know, we did some training, some training, training, training about warring with prophecy and dealt specifically with upgrading weapons and your personnel. So what God has given you to fight as well as your character development. So I'm going to continue training tonight. And in particular, um, you know, I heard the word, it was yesterday, the word essential. And that's what kind of caused me to dig into this a little bit more. And because it's actually a term that's real relevant to what's happening in today's society. So on the federal, state and local levels of our nation, uh, you know, you're familiar that they've deemed for only essential personnel, essential personnel to be available for work in person and for the rest of those to be able to, for the rest that are not classified as essential personnel to be able to work uh, uh, to work remotely or at home. And then, unfortunately, what some of this also means that some people are without employment at this time. We're going to pray for you because we're praying for you as well. Um, but I want to revert back to in the military article, as we've been declaring war, they use the term mission essential personnel. Excuse me, I think that is very powerful. Mission essential personnel. And so that's defined uh, as the minimum number of individuals required to continue functions that are essential for the mission. And you don't have to write that down, but I do want to say that again in your hearing. Mission essential personnel 
um, is defined, at least from this military sense, uh, as the minimum number of individuals required to continue functions that are essential for the mission. And so I understand Fort Bragg, my sister was born there again. You know, we bounce around a lot as a military family. Uh, I know that they've had the virus starting to spread on their base. And so they've limited uh, the responsibilities even of soldiers on their base. And so they've only allowed critical and military essential personnel. So that way they can still help load up what they need to load up as far as for cargo and equipment and get soldiers sent off and things of that nature. And so uh, I do want you to be able to write this down because you see this um, um, essential, uh, this, this uh, critical mission, this theme that's going on here. And everybody's real focused right now, which is a good thing. So, but I want you to write this down. God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. I like that right there. God does not need a lot to do a lot. God has a tendency to stand out. We've been talking about how God is going to distinguish himself and then he's going to distinguish his people. So God has a tendency to stand out in times like these because people usually at the end of their wits and at the, wind, at the end of their own resources, they have a tendency to turn to God. So God starts to stand out in moments like this. And so what you'll notice throughout scripture and throughout man's uh, history and in relationship with God one of his primary, not only, but one of his primary strategies is to use the least likely, the inconspicuous, <laughs> the unqualified, in the inopportune, and the minimum. I'm going to say that again. He uses the least likely. He uses the inconspicuous, the unqualified, and he does it in the inopportune moments. And then in many occasions, his strategy is, is to use the minimum. And so for the church at large, two thoughts here for the church at large, this ordeal is reducing the excessive. Come on. This whole ordeal that the world is experiencing, but in particular, even for the church in the United States of America, but the church at large um, is reducing the excessive and we're being redirected back to the essentials. So the excessive is being reduced and we're being redirected back to the essentials of his mission. And if I can use this expression, his bride needs trimming down to fit into her dress. <laughs> her bride, the bride of Christ is being trimmed down to fit into her dress. In other words, we're cutting out the fat, so to speak, some of the unnecessary stuff. And so of the many purposes of everything that's happening, I know there's different thoughts and different things have been prophesying and declaring and, 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 and all such, uh, you know, all types of, along those lines. I believe one of the goals is for the church to be the lean fighting machine that God has called her to be. I personally believe that the bride of Christ is a warring bride and we are a warring family. So God is just uh, tightening us up, making sure that we are fit, that we are chiseled, that we are conditioned uh, to be able to war properly in the spirit. So that's for the church at large. But then for you and for me, I believe God says, I want you to see the qualities of what and who is mission essential in your life in this season. So I'm going to say that again. <laughs> I want you to see the qualities of what and who is mission essential in your own life in this season. So let's go to Judges chapter six. We're gonna to go to Judges chapter six and we're gonna get rocking and rolling here. Uh, we're dealing with this gentleman named Gideon, Judges chapter six. And again, thank you so much. You can scroll there when you get there or you can turn there for those that have the uh, paper Bibles as well. It's all good. 
And so just to provide, again, I always like to provide just a little bit of context and a little bit of history. Sometimes I go a little bit more, uh, but tonight I'm going to go just a little bit uh, sh short on this regards. But there was an enemy of Israel named the Midianites, just to provide. And of course, uh, the Israelites, they weren't like soldiers or anything of that nature, but they were, they were farmers. They were, were, they were in agriculture. And so um, what would take place, uh, the Midianites, they would come because they were a nomadic group and they would come and they would actually raid the children of Israel. And this actually took place for about seven years because the children of Israel, their hearts had drifted from the Lord. And so they would raid the children of Israel's um, produce. And so whenever they would sow and then whenever increase would be able to come about, uh, whenever the earth would yield its increase, the Midianites would come and raid it and then send the children of Israel. Well, actually, they'd have to run away because uh, they, they weren't equipped to fight. Uh, so they would run away into the hillside and into the caves and things of that nature because that wasn't territory where the camels um, will be able to get to them. And so the Midianites, you know, they had their camels and things of that nature. And the uh, Israelites, they were, they were foot people. You know, any fighting that they did do, it was, it was uh, by foot. And so that's what was taking place here. And so uh, this was happening. They were under this oppression. Then when Israel called out to the Lord, God sent a prophet. And I just want to pause and just say this one little moment here because we talked about how God uses the inconspicuous. The prophet was not named here. The prophet was not given a name. So I just want to just bless God right now for just raising up the no-name prophets that will speak into the nation, that will speak into the ears and, and turn and redirect the hearts of the people back unto God. Come on, somebody, raise up prophets. You don't have to have a big name or a big profile or tons of followers uh, on social media. But God, I believe God wants to use your voice in this season those no-name people even though you're not no name to him but you know what I'm talking about so uh, being raised up but anyway so he raises up a prophet to let them know that even though God he, he's bringing them back to the fact that's like look God delivered you from the hand of Egypt and he's brought you into this land and thing of that nature uh, but this is happening because you did not obey his voice you did not obey his voice. And so after he shares this, you know, the people, you know, I guess they they turn for a little bit. But, you know, it's always been a cycle where they go back to their old ways. So here we got Gideon. Gideon's family was the least of the tribe of Manasseh. And so it wasn't just one big nation under a central government. They had different tribes and God would use different judges uh, periodically to speak and, and get the people back, to, you know, together, so to speak. But it was really more so tribal. Um, as far as for how they operated. And sometimes they have fractions and friction even amongst themselves. Uh, but here, uh, the tribe of Manasseh, uh, Gideon's family was the least in that tribe. And Manasseh wasn't even known as a big, well, uh, you know, mighty tribe amongst the other tribes as well. So you got the tribe of Manasseh. You have Gideon's family, who's the least in this tribe. And then Gideon is the least in this family. So literally speaking, Gideon is the least of the least. But yet he receives a visitation and the Bible says that it was an angel, uh, but it could have very well been a theophany, which means that God just showed up. Uh, but, you know, sometimes people don't recognize it and just say that it was an angel. But uh, there anyways, there's this encounter. We'll just say angel. There's this encounter by an angel with a message from the Lord. And what it was, it was this word that God that God gave uh, Gideon that Gideon was going to fight with. He was going to fight or stand on that word. And so, in essence, Gideon was given an essential, a critical mission for the time period that he was in. And we're going to take a look at it right now. There's four things that I want to talk about. I want to talk about what's essential. And then uh, I'll touch a little bit on who's essential tonight. But again, we're going to be training tonight as far as for uh, just the essentials in warring prophecy and the word that God gives. Amen. So y'all ready? Soldiers, we're going to salute. You can salute right where you are and just say, yes, sir. 
And for those that don't know, Sir is actually a part of my name. It's not just a title, but it's a part of my name. So I just say that jokingly. All right, let me take one more sip. Uh, hopefully you got your pens, pencils, pads, uh, digital devices to be able to take some notes down and we're gonna get started here. Because again, we as a church have a critical mission and it is essential for God's agenda for such a time as this. And we actually kick off with this, with this first thought here. So one of the first qualities as far as for um, mission for, for missing essential personnel for you and for I is recognition. You can write that down, recognition. And so I want to say this, you want to recognize, and I pray that you recognize that you've been called. You have been called, and I'm pointing distinctly to, to, to make sure that you understand that, hey, I'm talking to you. You have been called by God. And so in a personal sense, you, in essence, must know that you have to serve as a first responder. <laughs> you, have to first, you have to serve as a first responder in the kingdom of God. So we understand that our first response, when we recognize that we've been called, that our first response isn't to be like the world. We're not supposed to be scared. But here's the other thing. We're not supposed to be scarce. <laughs> we're not supposed to be scared and we are not supposed to be scared, scarce. So instead, what God causes us to do is to suit up. We want to put on our, our war clothes. We want to put on our armor. And so one thing that we, we've actually done as a ministry, you know, I alluded to it before, um, but we, we actually kind of kicked off this month just really geared up with a focus for war and with an intensity and with, an, a, mind, with a mindset, not even fully knowing what we were going to be warring against uh, in particular. But we knew that, that, man, you know what? God has declared war because God sees stuff ahead of time. And so when God declares war, he really, uh, really is looking to declare victory. Uh, but we as a ministry, we suited up before this even attacked our land. And then we responded to the alarm that he sounded. And so, again, that's what I want to encourage you to do uh, as believers, as first responders, to recognize you've been called. So somebody you could just say right now, say, I've been called. Or you can type or you can post uh, in the chat box and you can say, I've been called. And what it is, it's, you've been called by God. And what it is, it's, a, it's a, uh, an affirmation, but it's also a confirmation. And then now you also have a written, you have a, a spoken um, confirmation as well as a written confirmation that you have been called. So again, the alarm has sounded and you have to recognize that this is your time. This is your hour for such a time as this. This is your hour. This is your hour for such a time as this. And many of us have heard there's this great leader in times past uh, named uh, he was a prime minister of Great Britain at the time, Winston Churchill. I want to be able to read something because uh, in, in understanding that uh, we are recognizing the call that we are responding. He said something very profound when Hitler was at the doorsteps and they were really threatening and putting pressure on Britain. And they had a serious crisis because Hitler, we understand uh, the Nazis in Germany, man, they were just sweeping across Europe and things of that nature. So he says this on this speech that he's presenting to the House of Commons at the United Kingdom. So the prime minister made this speech. So just bear with me. I just follow along. I think this is very powerful. So again, this is part of the speech from Prime Minister Winston Churchill. And listen to this. This is very strong. He says this upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. That's what he said then. And I think that's so apropos now. And then he says, I'll continue on with this quote, his speech. Upon it depends our own British life 
and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and care for, cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. And he continues on. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. Glory to God. I think I could almost say that and just even, you know, include just the church and, thing, and things of that nature. So instead of saying British life, we can say the Christian life. Instead of saying Hitler, we can say the enemy and, and all the attack that's going on. But again, uh, let it be said, let it be said that even in the midst of this pandemic and things that is going on, that this hour for the church right now, that this is our finest hour yet. Come on, somebody. So just say this, just even point to yourself and say, this is my finest hour. Take possession of that, own that. This is your finest hour. This is our finest hour for your family, for your marriage. This is your finest hour for yourself. This is your finest hour. And man, we're just going to declare even for businesses. May this become your finest hour for the church of the living God. May we look back and say, man, this was a fine hour for the church of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. So take that, recognize that you've been called. And then when we look at Gideon, uh, he was called in Judges chapter 6, verse 11 through 14. Uh, we could just go ahead and turn there right now. Judges chapter 6, verse 11 through 14. And we're going to kind of walk through the scriptures uh, just a little bit here. Judges chapter 6, verse 11 through 14. I'm actually going to read from the English Standard Version tonight. Uh, but whichever version that you're looking at is totally fine. Uh, but I want to read this uh, because God is, calling, God is calling Gideon. And it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz the Abirzerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So this is what was happening. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of the Midians. And the Lord turned to him. And said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. So recognize that you've been called. Gideon didn't understand this at the moment. He actually just thought that he was talking to a, a regular man until he found out a little bit later that he was actually talking uh, to uh, divine presence. And so, uh, but interestingly enough, the Lord spoke to him and called him a mighty, a mighty man of valor. And so I want to declare this to you in your calling. Understand that you are a mighty man, that you are a mighty woman of valor. Yes, you are. Whether you feel like it or not, just know that you are. And I find it interesting because God calls him that while Gideon was in a place of hiding. <laughs> 
while he was hiding wheat uh, from the Midianites, God still says, hey, even though you might think that you're the least of the least, I'm calling you a mighty man of valor right now. So God is calling you out right now in Jesus' name, and he's calling you mighty, and you are to go in that strength. And so what it is, God is dealing with your identity when he calls you. Because when he says mighty, when he calls you mighty, guess what? He's calling it as it is. He's calling it as he see it, sees it, which is as it is from heaven's perspective. So, again, you could just say right now, and I think it's good to just say stuff out of your mouth and to type stuff as well. But you could just say, I am a mighty man of valor or I am a mighty woman of valor, however you spell it. And then as you're doing it, I just say this, man, you better recognize. You better recognize. You better tell somebody and you better recognize. So again, that first quality right there is recognition. And of course, recognition is a whole message in and of itself, but it is very important that you recognize. And so the second thing uh, that's essential for, uh, for uh, mission essential personnel is preparation. So we have recognition and then two, we have preparation. And this preparation is actually preparing your heart. So you want to make sure that you prepare your heart. So on a personal note, God calls, God calls. The Bible says this, many are called, but few are chosen. Here's one indication. Of course, there could be many, but the people that are chosen say yes. They have a yes in their heart. They respond appropriately. And so God calls, but the chosen go through the necessary preparation of the heart before walking in the calling. And we dealt with this a little bit on, on, on Sunday, but, you know, even though God calls, there's still a preparation process. So in the biggest thing that's in the preparation process is preparing your heart, preparing your heart, because the heart has to be conditioned. The heart has to be molded. The heart has to be conformed for the word of God, because the glory cannot rest on weak character. The glory, because here's the thing, and it's a true thing. A gifting can take you to a place where a character cannot anchor you if your character is not developed. So God wants to make sure that you are anchored first in him because this is a time to be anchored like never before in him. So that way we're not swayed by information. We're not swayed by statistics. We're not swayed by the, uh, the, the spirit of the age right now. But we are locked in that we are anchored in his presence and still allowing God to be able to prepare our hearts because we recognize uh, who he is. We recognize who he's called us to be part of that identity and what he's saying about us. But then in the midst of that, he's preparing our hearts. So God continue to prepare our hearts, continue to shape us and mold us and conform us. And so what that means is our hearts have to be consecrated. Our hearts have to be set apart for his use, for his purpose. And again, this is training, not coming real super deep tonight, but this is something I want to make sure I want to keep drilling this in so that way we understand this. Because I know we have different people hearing and that are at different stages and in their walks with the Lord. But you want to make sure that your heart is clean. We've dealt with this before about having clean hands and a pure heart. It is critical that you have that, that you make sure that you don't hold any offenses or trespasses against anybody, that you are clear, clear, that you have a clear conscience, that you are forgiving, that you are, are releasing and, and, and turning things over to God and walking in his peace and, on, and all that he has for you and all that he has for us. So again, our hearts must be consecrated and marked by the Lord. And I, and I thought about this, um, oh, Chris, this Christmas song that said, Let every heart prepare him room. 
Meaning that when God's knocking on the heart, uh, we, the, the whole house, our whole lives are open to him. So it's not like he's just relegated to one component or to one day or to just to one aspect or even to one period of time within the day. It's like, God, Lord, you know, I'm just giving you these five minutes of devotion. No, God is involved in every aspect so that way he can prepare our hearts. And it's absolutely necessary um, to be conditioned rightly. And so when we look at Gideon, what Gideon did in the natural was symbolic of what we must do and what must, what must take place in the heart. So let's look at verses 22 through 25 here, and I'll explain it in a little bit. And it says this, and again, I'm from the uh, English Standard Version uh, because... Uh, you know, getting to realize it's like, oh my gosh, I was speaking to an angel or I wasn't just talking to anybody. And so then Gideon perceived, then Gideon perceived, that's part of recognition as well. Verse 22, then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord after he finished talking to him. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He was terrified with that. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Peace be to you. I'm saying that to you right now. Peace be to you. Come on, somebody. Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. <laughs> I got. I had to clap that out and had to let that echo because I just. I just need that. Just the, that statement to echo and just begin to just penetrate the airwaves in the name of Jesus. To penetrate the airwaves in the name of Jesus. So God, we just say peace. Be to us that there is no fear and we shall not die, but declare the works of the Lord. So peace be unto you. You shall not die, but declare the works of the Lord. And then verse 24, this is key right here. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace or Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands Oh, because peace still stands. To this day, it still stands in Ophrah. And of course, I know it was saying to this day at the time of the writing, but still, peace stands. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiers' rights. <laughs> and then I'll stop at verse 25. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Ashereth that is beside it. And then um, build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here. <clears throat> That's what it says in verse 26. And then I'll, I'll stop right there. So <clears throat> he did two things. He built an altar as far as for preparation of the heart. He built an altar. And then he also tore down the altar dedicated to the God of Baal. Now here, just a quick little synopsis. You know, altars mean several things. But what they're symbolic of and what they represent, uh, they're symbolic and they represent worship. They represent sacrifice. They represent um, uh, the, the, the table of the Lord. And so it's a place where, where there's affection that goes forth. And so many people will sacrifice and offer up a burnt offering unto the Lord uh, out of appreciation, out of marking of occasion, whatever the case may be. But it was connected to the heart. So God says, hey, I want you to build an altar. So that's part of uh, uh, making room for the Lord. And so I like how that expression, uh, you know, that I said that an altar also represents a table before the Lord where God would consume the sacrifice. But then we also know that table represents fellowship. So part of that preparing your heart, this is a time like never before for fellowship. And so the idols, the, 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 um, the altar of Baal was torn down and the asterisk, asterisk um, 
uh, pole was torn down. So Gideon tore those things down. So when we look at it, even in our nation and even the world, uh, what do we see today? The entertainment industry has been upended at this point where people would normally go to quote unquote church. I call it church where people would gather at different locations and and pay admission to be able to lift their hands and sing before before uh, before an artist. All of that has been upended right now. So altars are being torn down. I say all that to say this altars of different gods of different forms of worship in this nation and even in this world are being torn down or being upended right before our very lives, right before our very eyes, I should say. And so and again, I want to reiterate that even amongst the church, we want to make sure that we destroy the bronze serpent, the stuff that may have been good that people used to look to that was now stuck in tradition. That's being upended as well. There's a whole lot of shaking going on, (laughs) whole lot of shaking going on. So, again, we want to make sure that we that we stay in a mode of recognition and that we are always allowing God to prepare our hearts. Those are two things right there. And the third thing. So we got recognition. We have preparation. This is for mission essential personnel. Mission essential personnel, you and me, we have recognition and we have preparation. But here's the third thing. We have organization. Organize. And so on a personal level, once you've been called, once you've been prepared, once you've been called, once your heart has been prepared, once your attitude has been adjusted and once your attitude has been shifted, guess what? You can't be disorganized. Not in this season. Because all of that is a part of alignment. All of that is part of uh, that recognition, recognizing who he is, recognizing who we are in him, allowing God to be able to um, uh, uh, shape and purify our heart. All of that is alignment. All of that is getting us in proper order. And so now uh, organization is key. We can't be disorganized because the plan, once there's recognition, once there's preparation, guess what? You got to have the plan. You got to have the plan. And that's part of the organization because the plan cannot be released. The plan cannot flow in this organization. The plan requires organization. Come on. Even a plan that you might have right now requires organization. I know people are cleaning or you should be uh, uh, organizing some things when you have a moment because we have a little bit more time now. We have a little bit more time now. There's not as much uh, for us. There's really no places that we can go to uh, for any leisure unless it's just outside walking out of park or just kind of exercising things of that nature. But we have time to get some things organized, to get some plans organized, to get some thoughts, even our thinking organized. Come on. So somebody just say right now, Lord, help me to organize. (laughs) Lord, help me to organize. Lord, help us to organize. And so people are uh, uh, filing taxes, uh, you know, they're, they're organizing. Uh, and if you've already filed, uh, good for you. If you're in the process of filing, you know, get it filed as well. And, and this ain't even just for a stimulus uh, package, but this is, just, this is just a part of it. So everything is trying to organize and be reorganized in the midst of everything that's going on. But here's the encouraging thing, and I know we've said it before, and I'm sure you've heard it from other places, but I just want to continue to add thrust to this to even organize your day. Organize your time differently. Your time, my time has to be organized differently. Even when we think about it, based upon the, the uh, business hours and how they're operating, it's different. So now sometimes we might have to go to a store a little bit earlier because they're closing earlier. I know there's some stores that's even right across, right, you know, maybe a block away from where I live at. 
they're only open certain days of the week. And then even the times that they're open, it's a limited time. So I remember one time I wanted to stop by and ask a question. And I went there, knocked, looked at it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, they're only open on Wednesdays. And they were done at 3. And I showed up at 4 o'clock. Missed it. So now I'm like, okay, I know how to better organize. Now, with that, once you have some new information, you can better organize. For those of you that got an attic that needs to be cleaned up, clean that attic up. Or organize that attic. If there's some files that need to be organized, organize that. And I'm going to explain to you um, where we see this you know, in the scripture in just a little bit. Uh, but again, organize your basement, whatever. If there's old stuff that needs to be discarded, get rid of the old. I mean, we're actually in spring now, so this is a great time for spring cleaning. But organize. God help us to organize. Organize your home. Organize your finances. Organize your time so that way you and so that way we can be in the proper position to capitalize in this season and then in the season once all of this stuff passes. That's what's key about this because we want to make sure that we don't revert back to the same thing. Because that's what took place with the children of Israel. Uh, they would go back into the same cycles. They would repent and then they would drift away. And then, um, then they would fall into uh, a dire situation or crisis. Then they would repent. It'd be revival. And then uh, it'd be sustained for a little bit. Then it'd fall off. And then they'd uh, and so that old cycle, that old pattern has to be broken in the name of Jesus. And I believe that we are experiencing such an encounter like this to be able to shake that kind of stuff up. And so it would behoove us to make sure that we don't go back to that same way of thinking. So, again, we want to be organized. So now Gideon, I believe this when I look at it, and I never thought about this before, but when I started looking at this as it pertains to organization for mission essential personnel, because God had called him to this uh, mission essential, I believe when I look back at it, he had a sense of planning and organization about him. You might find this funny when you think about it, but Gideon did have a sense of planning and organization about him. It could have been out of fear or otherwise, but let's look at this. One, he hid the wheat from the Midianites. That's a plan. <laughs> That's a plan. So knowing that it's like, man, we just produced something. I know these Midianites are going to come raiding. So now he started taking the wheat and hiding it so that way, um, so that way they could at least have some grain for later. That's one. And then we're going to look at look at this in verse uh, 25 through 27, uh, because, you know, when God told him, it's like, look, I want you to tear down these altars. The Bible says this that night, verse 25, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. We've read this and build an altar to the Lord, your God, on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood. This is so cool. With the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So the Asherah pole, he used that wood uh, to be able to sacrifice uh, to, for, for the sacrifice. Verse 27. So Gideon, this is part of planning and organizing. <laughs> so Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid. So again, this was still out of fear. Because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So even though he was in the midst of fear uh, from hiding the wheat and getting the 10 men, but I was like, man, you know what, God, that was still some organization that 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 was a trait there. So and then here's another thought. Uh, he gathered the people together to respond. This is part of organization as well. So Gideon gathered the people together. Eventually, um, um, God, God showed up. 
God showed up and, and, and strengthened him. So now let's take a look at uh, uh, verse 34. And I want to read that 34 and verse 35. So this is part of the organization. This is part of the organizer. And we see this organizer right here. So again, we're training, but a Bible study. Verse 34, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet. So the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. The spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and Gideon sounded the trumpet. He sounded the alarm. He made a clarion call to the peoples. And the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. Verse 35. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh. And they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, to Zebulun, to Zebulun and Naphtali. Naft and they went up to meet there. So again, not only was he calling out to his clan, uh, the Abiers rights, <laughs> and as well as his clan within his tribe, which is Manasseh, but then he started calling out to other tribes. So again, this is part of organization when you are gathering, when you are gathering. So again, that's part of organizing. You got to gather some information. You got to, um, and, and I know we can't meet per se within so many amount of groups, but you can still gather. I know Zoom is popping. More people are, are doing uh, medias, uh, doing meetings online so that can begin to take place. Here's another part of organization because Gideon was systematic. Gideon was systematic. And so uh, many of us are familiar with this part, but then, because, uh, you know, Gideon wanted to get a sign from the Lord. So I want to read verse 36 through 39. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, <laughs> he's like, God, you said it. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece of loam and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. So God did it. And then when he arose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Verse 39. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with this fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground. Let there be dew. And then verse 40. And God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground. There was dew. So Gideon, this again just shows some of the organization of Gideon. He was organized and planned to be able to hide the wheat. Uh, he gathered the ten men and store down his father's uh, and tear down his father's altars. He he was able to gather the people together. Uh, he had a systematic, you know, he was systematic in his proceedings with God. And then look what happened as a result. God responded. So I never heard it before, but it just kind of it just kind of came to me. It's like, man, God, you know, what? you saw some or you, you knew that you played some organizational skills within Gideon. So, again, recognition. Recognition, preparation, organization. Those are key for this mission, mission essential for us, mission essential personnel. So I want to say this, man, you and for me, we want to thank God for the organizers. I know some of y'all are organizers, some of y'all are planners, some of y'all are strategists. Man, we thank God for you. Let the organizers, let the planners, let the strategists rise up in the name of Jesus. I know some people might not like it all the time, but man, we want to thank God for the people that says, hey, you know what, we need a plan. You know what, we need a strategy. And even if it isn't all the way fleshed out, people are like, well, man, you know what? We, we, we need a strategy. We need some type of organization. We need, we need, let's not everybody just go off and do their own thing, but let's gather together and let's discuss some stuff. 
Because think about it. There wasn't a war that was ever won in disorganization. There was not a war that was won in disorganization. There was always organization. So, again, I thank God for the organizers. Let that organizing anointing, some of you that might not even recognize it, we call it out of you in the name of Jesus. You might wonder why, man, why am I so particular? Why do I like certain things in order? Why when I get a meal, I don't like my food to touch, but I eat this part first and this part second and this part third. Now, guess what? You are organized. <laughs> it might seem funny, but you got some strategic sense about you. I know one thing that I say, even amongst myself, is funny, but it's true. But I'm like, man, I always like to finish on a good bite. So I might pick something here, see how that is. I might get something there and determine it's like, mm, yeah, this is how I want to finish. So then I start to eat, you know, accordingly. <laughs> but again, you are organized. Lord, organize us. Order us in the name of Jesus. And then the fourth thing, mobilization. So again, we have recognition. We have preparation. We have organization. The fourth key, fourth thing that is essential for, uh, for mission essential personnel. This is the fourth quality. It's mobilization. So on a personal note, once you receive the call, once you prepare your heart, and once you get organized, that's a good flow to follow right there. Once you receive the call, once you prepare your heart, and once there's some order to some things, once there's some organization, once there's a plan um, in place, you have to move and take step forward. You have to move forward. That's that mobilization. That's that mobilization. So we see this process here uh, because uh, what was taking place uh, and what we're familiar for those that might not know, we're going to see in this next chapter in chapter seven. God's about to do something very unique very unique and very strategic from his perspective. And so, again, this is part of God's strategy to reduce the excessive and to redirect us to the essential. And so, um, uh, again, mobilization. So let's look. We're going to stop at, uh, we're going to turn now to Judges chapter 7, verse 1. And I'm just going to read verse 1. I'm going to stop there. But we're going to see this mobilization right here. Then Jerubabel, and so Jerubabel was actually the name that Gideon's father called him um, after uh, Gideon tore down the altar. And people wanted to kill Gideon. And then Gideon's father stood up and said, and said well, man, look, if Baal's a real God, let him defend himself. And let, God, let Baal contend for himself. And so that's what Jerubabel means. Uh, Baal can, shall contend. So uh, when you see Jerubabel, uh, that's just another name that, um, that was given to Gideon. Then Jerubabel that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him. So now he's got people with him. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. So I just wanted to bring that point out. So now he's gathered the people together. He blew the trumpet. The alarm sounded. And so now the people gathered together and, Mid and Gideon got some confirmation from the Lord. The spirit of the Lord was on him. The spirit of the Lord was with them. So now he and the people, they rose early. They mobilized to go to meet, uh, not directly, but to meet to where uh, the Midian Midianites were at. And of course, they, they were in a, in, a, in a valley because of all the camels and the way that they looked. They were just like... As, uh, in, almost like as far as the eye could see, many came, they came deep. They came deep. So here we go. Mobilization. And, and these things are, are, are very critical in regards to that. Uh, one thing that, uh, you know, I, I was talking uh, to one of our, our veteran sergeant 
uh, Robert Wilson the third there, a uh, retired sergeant there. Uh, when I was just talking to him, because you know I was talking to him because you know he's been in combat, and so I asked him. I was like, well, what's one of the key things that you learned in basic training, as well as some things that you learned, you know, on war? But one thing that jumped out to me that I think is appropriate here to talk about uh, in basic training, he said. Uh, in basic training, you know, one key thing that he learned was that we all need to come together, that that was key in order for there to be a, a, a functioning and a successful military brigade or, or unit or even an army as a whole, that you have to be able to come together for this mobilization. And so um, he also said this, we had to know the mission and be in agreement with the mission. So shout out to Sarge for that. Uh, we had to know the mission and be in agreement with the mission. And then here he says this, uh, let me slow this part down. We had to know the mission, be in agreement with the mission and follow through with the mission. So that's part of that mobilization. So he said this, we had to know the mission, we had to be in agreement with the mission, and we had to follow through with the mission. So again, with mobilization, uh, the, the children of Israel, they rose up, they were mobilized to meet the enemy. They did not, they were not afraid, <laughs> at least at that moment. <laughs> but here's a definition from Merriam-Webster as it pertains to mobilization. I think this is powerful. One, it says this, to put into movement or circulation. This is a Merriam-Webster definition of mobilization. It means to put into movement or circulation. Or circulation. So come on, you got to put something into movement or you got to put something into circulation. And it says this, another definition. It says to release something stored in the organism for bodily use. My God. So the first definition is to put into movement or circulation. And then the second definition is to release Something stored in the organism for bodily use, meaning there's something stored within the body that must be released. Come on. Some of y'all are tracking with that revelation right now because God is mobilizing the body of Christ like never before. Because there's something on the inside of us that has to be released in the name of Jesus. Here's the third definition of mobilized. It says this to assemble and make ready for war duty. To assemble and make ready for war duty. And then the fourth definition was is to marshal something, meaning to take command something, such as a resource for action. Come on, so we're marshaling some things right now in the name of Jesus. But again, we got some things, so you've got to put something in movement and in circulation by faith. You've got, you've got to put some things in circulation. You've got to assemble some things and make it ready for war. And you've got something that's stored up on the inside of you, and I call it forth now in the name of Jesus, that must be released. Once you recognize that you have a gifting, a talent, ability, an anointing, a call, an assignment for the body of Christ that must be released. So in the name of Jesus, we call you into mobilization for this mission personnel. Once you've gone through that point of recognition and recognizing and saying yes to the call, once your heart has been prepared, come on, somebody. <laughs> yeah. Once you've got some things in order. Once your house is in order. Once your house, once your mind, once things are in order, then it's time for you to get up, time for you to rise up, time for you to get a movement, time for you to produce something that can be circulated. Oh, circulation. Somebody just do the circle right now. God, we thank you for circulation, circulation, ongoing, circulation, ongoing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the name of Jesus. So here we go. Gideon 
once he was organized and gathered the people, they mobilized and prepared for battle. Now, this is what many of us know about the story, but some people might not. So I just want to share this part. They started off with a army of 32,000 men, 32,000 men, but they were preparing to face a Midianite army as well as others of over 120,000 people. So they were already short, getting ready to go face, face this uh, military, but God says go. Because God was at work and he was about to do some things. And so uh, God says, God told Gideon, he's like, look, I'm going to use you to bring about this deliverance. And so we, we understand that. So now, again, with 32,000 men, you would think that is, that is a lot. But when you are outnumbered by over 120,000 men and you have 32,000. But this is what God says. <laughs> God whittled that crew down because he says this. He was like, look, you have too many people. I have to reduce, even though, even though it didn't look like excess in the eyes of men, God was like, look, that's too much because I don't want anybody to think that you all got this deliverance on your own. I don't want you to think that this came about. I don't want you to think that this prosperity was a result of your doing, but because I want it to be, I want you to recognize that it is my hand at work. Come on, somebody. Even in the provision that God is might be doing, because we're believing God for testimonies for you, even in the midst of what seems like tightness, know that God's hand is in the midst. And God will bring about the deliverance, but I'm telling you, the church has to recognize, our nation has to recognize, our government leaders have to recognize and bow appropriately and says, man, you know what, God, this is you. It's not us. It's you're the one who's blessing. So again, that's what is mission essential. That's what is mission essential. So again, recognition is mission mission essential. Recognition, preparation, organization, and mobilization. I want to talk a little bit about this part. Who is mission essential? Because this is uh, a distinction that has been made even across our land. And so, who you have around you is key in accomplishing the mission. Who you roll with? Who your squad? Who you, who who you with? <laughs> That's what Bernie Mac was saying. Who you with? Who you with is, 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 is key to accomplishing the mission. And for the sake of time, what I'm going to do is just kind of highlight these points. Um, because as we grow in that what category and those qualities, we'll attract who we need. As you grow in recognition, as you grow in your heart is prepared, as you grow in, in, in how organized and, pl and, and planned you are and, you know, having your stuff together and mobilizing and you're actually moving, it's the movement that will attract who you need. All right, so here we go. And God will help you. He'll help you to develop and to discern the people needed for the mission essential that you have. But there's three things that I notice about the qualities of God's selection of the 300 people. And so uh, what, 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 you, what you'll find as you read on in Judges chapter 7, uh, God says, look, I want you to take these people uh, to this, this spot where there was water. Well, first, first of all, he says this, uh, for those that are scared, I want you to send them home. <laughs> so for those that were scared, and so what happened, I believe it was 22,000 people return because Gideon was like, look, if you're scared, if you're afraid, you can go ahead and go home. So they already showed up shorthanded um, by the eyes. So they showed up with 32,000 total. But he said, if you're scared, I want you to go home. So 22,000 men threw up the peace sign. They were like, look, deuces, I'm out. <laughs> so that's one of the qualities right there. Uh, and you see that in, 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 in uh, verse three there. 
And matter of fact, let me go ahead and read it. Let me go ahead and read verse two. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me. The people with you are too many for me. <laughs> the people with you, the people that you're rolling with right now, that's too many. I don't need a crowd for this. Give the Midianites into their hand. Oh, let me let me read it straight. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So now you got 10,000 uh, remain. So this is one of the qualities right there as far as for who is mission essential. People who aren't afraid. Come on, we need people who aren't, who aren't afraid in this season. The scared ones went home. The scared one went home, but we're calling the body of Christ right now in the name of Jesus to not be afraid. Not, not that that means that we're irresponsible, but it doesn't mean, and we've talked about this, and you're hearing these messages you know, all over our Christianity, um, so it's not uh, unique, but it is important because the spirit of fear has, is still picking up. With the spread, the spirit of fear is still picking up and people are becoming more scared. But again, for us amongst the body of Christ, um, don't, do not be afraid. So again, and the people we want, uh, we don't want people that, that are afraid, the people that are fearful, people that are scared to move, people that are afraid to step forward. So here, here we have the 10,000 that are there. And then God says this, the people are still too many for me. So we go from 32,000 to 10,000. And God says, look, the people are still too many for me. And then verse four, he says, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And any of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. And I think that is so important as you uh, flow and start operating it. Okay, what is really essential in my life right now? Some relationships do not qualify in this season. My God, that is a word. This is a time to evaluate. Some relationships are, do not qualify as essential in your life in this season. And I'm not talking about pastors and leaders of, uh, you know, of that nature because, you know, God has ordained that. Uh, so don't let that thought, you know. Uh, but... Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some relationships do not qualify as essential in this season. It may have been good before, but what God wants to do and the glory that he wants to bring out of your life, uh, you have to stay connected and plug in. Okay, God, who is it that's supposed to go with me in this season? And then listen to the Lord and God will say, yep, that person, that person, that person, not that person, not that person, not that person. And not even that those people were bad. Man, they, they were still brave, but God was looking for something in particular, certain qualities that were necessary for what he wanted to do. Because ultimately, we recognize first that it's a, all about him and it's all about his mission. It's all about his mission. So, again, you need people who are around you that are not afraid. But then here's this point right here. After after the 10,000 get whittled down. And of course, there's many thoughts as far as for, uh, you know, why they were chosen. But there was only 300 men that were left. And so when I look at it, these are the three qualities that I noticed about the who that were connected to his mission essential. These were people who were not afraid. These were people, too, who were loyal. These were people who were loyal. 
And it was interesting how God says that, you know, they took the ones that kind of drink water like a dog. And of course, I know uh, in that time, uh, you know, dogs were kind of, you know, I guess, frowned upon. But I know in our modern day now, you know, dogs are qualified as loyal. Um, but I'll explain this. Uh, there were people, the 300 were people who were not afraid and they were people who are loyal. And this is how I know how you got to be loyal, because you have to be loyal to God and the visionary and the mission when 31,700 comrades either leave on their own accord or are sent home. That's loyalty. So when you got people, because sometimes you got people that are, that are rocking with you, people that are in relationship with you, and you think of that they're for you, and then they leave. Because they didn't really vibe with the vision, they didn't vibe with who you are, or with the mission, the assignment that God has given you. So they, so they leave on their own. Then you got to discern, okay, some people as you go further, it's like, okay, they're not here for me in this season. But then you got some people that's just going to be loyal. It's like, look, I'm with you. I don't care who leaves. I'm with God. I'm with you. I'm with this mission. Let's go. Let's do this. God, so I thank you, Lord, for the 300 type of people in our lives. So, again, we want those who are not afraid. These were people who were loyal. And then here's the other thing. Third thing, these were people who were humble. Those 300 people were people who were humble. This is how I know because God gives Gideon a very unique strategy here. And so what he does, uh, because he, he, he was getting ready to know. So can you imagine again, just for a moment, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but they were down to 300 men, getting ready to face over 120,000. He's got three, two, 300 soldiers with him and they didn't blink. They were like, okay, what's the mission? What do we need to do? Gideon, we're with you. We know God is with you. Let's do this. And so God gives him a unique strategy um, because these men, uh, well, I'll explain this. So Gideon goes and finds out that these men in the Midianite camp at night, they had a dream that this big loaf of barley bread came, came rolling down and crushed crushed their camp and then another soldier that heard the dream got this got this interpretation he was like oh man that dream must only mean that Gideon has come and that we're going to be destroyed <laughs> that was the only interpretation that that he had and I thought it was interesting because here God takes something that was uh, oh my gosh oh this just came to me by revelation because barley pertains to wheat and it, was, and it was made out of wheat. So here, symbolically, I've never thought about this, but it's just coming to me now. Here, God, here, now we look at it. Gideon was hiding wheat. So God's going to take, I just believe in this season, to take the hidden things, put it together, and bring about victory. Come on, somebody, the hidden things, the things that you may have thought that you were hiding in this season because I don't want somebody to steal this ideal. I don't want somebody to take this. God wants to be able to take that hidden thing, Put it together, put some heat to it, bake it, woo, and use it to make sure that it gets on a roll and crush the enemy. Glory to God. Come on, hidden things, come forth. The stuff that you've been hiding, don't hide it in this. God's not going to hide it. Receive that. That's a word for somebody. That's a word for somebody. Hidden things are coming forth right now in the name of Jesus. Hidden things, hidden things. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to be afraid of what people are going to say or what people are going to think because that's why some people have been hiding. And I'm talking to you, whoever this might apply to. Some of you have been hiding uh, uh, because of fear of men. But God says, come out of hiding. What I've given you is, is, is I want to use this. I want you to war with this. 
Now, who takes bread and crushes? Ah, just take that. Just take that. So God confirms victory in that dream. So Gideon was like, oh, man, I know we about to win this now. He had no doubts. And so what, what happens next is here's the thing. They didn't come with a bunch of swords. Again, these were agricultural people. So what they have, they have a trumpet. And I don't even know if every man had a trumpet, but they had a trumpet. They had jars and they had torches. That was their weaponry. We talked about upgrading this past Sunday, upgrading weaponry. Man, God will use the common stuff, but he's the one that actually applies the upgrade to it. So what you have, God will apply the upgrade to it. All right, so here we go. And then here's the other thing. This is part of that humility part as far as for the quality of men, because the instruction was this. The men were to shout a sword of the Lord, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, it's one thing to be able to shout a sword for God, but then the, the instructions they were given that Gideon told them, it was like, look, we're going to shout a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. My goodness. Because when we put God first, he doesn't mind blessing you. But he's first. And always. And I find it interesting, they were to shout a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. <laughs> when they had pictures and they had torches and they could have had swords. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't I don't you know, I'm not speaking here or there about that. But um, the Bible makes mention these main things that they did have trumpet, jars, torches and a shout. Oh, that's good enough for God right there out of 300. Uh, so then what happens? So we're not going to read in all this. But then what happens was as they did this, as they blew the trumpet because they surrounded the camp with the 300 and the 300 uh, and the Midianites, they were in the valley because that's where the camels could be. So they were coming down from the hill, with, you know, from that position. And so they threw down the jars and they blew the trumpet and then the torches lit. And so the, the adversaries, they were like, oh, my gosh, it's, it's, it's Gideon and the Israelites. They were surrounded. And so. The adversaries went into a panic in the middle of the night. They went into a panic and they started killing themselves. The Midianites started turning their swords on themselves. So just think about the stuff that comes to rise up against you in this season. I'm telling you, it's going to turn on its own self. And then Israel slaughtered, began slaughtering them with only 300 men. So God, I thank you for turning it, for turning it, for turning it in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. So I say all of that to say this. I don't care what it looks like. It does not matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it rises up against you. I'm here to remind you not to take yourself lightly. Do not take yourself lightly. And we're not going to take each other lightly. Don't take yourself lightly. Don't take each other lightly. Because we are indeed at war with an unseen enemy. But we serve an unseen God who is above all. We serve, we're at war with an unseen enemy, but we serve, we're connected, we're plugged into an unseen God who is above all. But here's the thing, above all, this unseen God is on the inside of you. Man, we can bless God for that right now. As a follower, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, who names the name of the Lord, the most high living God, El Elyon, God Almighty, is on the inside of you. And so even though we adhere to the laws of the land, so please adhere to the laws of the land. Pastors, adhere to the laws of the land. Even though we adhere to the laws of the land as it pertains to public gatherings, know that you, 
and I are mission essential personnel in the kingdom. <laughs> We're mission essential personnel in the kingdom. So just receive that encouragement right now in the name of Jesus. And I just want to be able to pray.